You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Thanks to the Creative Guys and the folks on Sound and AV. Thanks for all your help this evening. But Bill Gates made the news this week, didn't he? And again, maybe not for good reasons, but he's been in the news lots over the last number of years, hasn't he? Why? Because he's been looking to give his fortune away, isn't he? He initially promised his children nothing, but now they've been promised 10 million each now, which is a whole lot better than nothing, I suppose. But Bill Gates is looking to give all away. He has this pledge, trying to give as much away as he can. And why is he doing that? Well, he's linking it back to years ago in America, there were Carnegie, Rockefeller, and Vanderbilt. They owned all of America, essentially, when it was growing, moving westwards in the 1800s. And what did they do with their fortune? They were building stuff left, right, and center to get rid of their money, to help society. And they had a competition between themselves of who could do the most, who could give away the most. And as we read in Acts chapter 4, you can almost imagine that kind of competition in giving away happening. Verse 34, For as many as were owners or lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They were selling all that they had to to give. It was a generous church. The church has been growing from the day of Pentecost. Many people, through the preaching of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, working on people's hearts, have repented and turned to Jesus as their Messiah and their Lord. And so far in Acts, we've read several times of the church being gathered together. In Acts 2, where we started off, we get a glimpse into the life of the church where they have this radical idea of sharing And now in Acts 4, we get a a greater and clearer insight of what it is to be a generous church. In verse 32, we read that they are of one heart and one soul. They are united together. They are one identity. There's no one cut off from others because of who they were or what background they are from. They relate to each other so well. They are one together. Why? Because they're all recipients of God's great grace. They're all united in Christ and united together in that, because they are the church. They have faith in Christ, and they love each other, and they demonstrate their love for one another, and their love for Jesus, and being a generous church. But why? Well, the first thing is this. God is generous towards the church. God is generous towards the church. And we'll come to it later, but this is kind of our anchor for everything, is in verse 33, great grace was upon them all. That's the foundation. We'll come to that in a wee moment. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, we read these words written by Paul. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's a great verse, isn't it? There's so much in it, and we could spend hours on it. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the gift that God gives us, Why is this a display of God's generous grace? Jesus was rich, became poor. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was in heaven as the the Son of God, part of the Trinity, and he comes down to be poor like us, to be human just like us. And not only was he human, where was he born? In the stable, the most humble of origins, the one who is living as son, clothed in majesty and power, living in splendor and power and authority, living in the heavens, which makes earth look like nothing becomes poor for us. He lived the earthy life just like us, and he was able to say, although he wasn't a beggar, wasn't Jesus able to say that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. 
and we contrast the, the life of Jesus on earth to what he had in heaven. He was rich and became poor. He would stoop low to us. The great God of highest heaven would look to us, what, little creatures of his creation. It's the most amazing thing that Jesus became poor. Why would Jesus become poor? Well, it's for your sake. For your sake, Jesus became poor. How does Jesus becoming poor benefit us that we might become rich? What? Jesus became poor that we become rich. His costly sacrifice leads us to richness through faith, the forgiveness of our sin. There are many rags to riches stories in the world, aren't there? You might think of Slumdog Millionaire or somebody in business that you, you follow who went from near bankruptcy or being broke to, to making it themselves. There's no better rags to riches stories than Christians. The poor become rich, not even anything to do with us, but of God's great grace given to us. He's exceptionally generous to us. For how costly was our sin that Jesus had to pay it with his blood, his life. And that's what they're preaching here. They're the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, that he died for them and rose again. That is the hope and the certainty that they have. That is why they keep talking about, that's why they are empowered with this, verse 33, great grace. God is blessing them over and over and over again, that he's adding to their number daily those who are being saved. He blesses them. In verses 24 to 30, we have this wonderful prayer that they, that they say together, united their amens. And God answers it. God has great power in the message. Why? Because it's all of God's great grace. God is generous towards them. Jesus became poor that we might be rich. Literally, to the lowest of the low, dead, become alive for us. There is special, generous grace in the Son, Jesus, giving up his life for the church, for Christians. And God is generous to us, isn't he, in so many ways. We can count our blessings, name them one by one, but we experience the most special blessing in Jesus. Though he was rich, became poor, that we might be rich. How is the church to respond to God's generous grace? Well, the church is generous to the church. The church is the people who trust Jesus, who follow Jesus, those who are disciples of Jesus, as we would say. And being a disciple or a follower of Jesus means many different things, doesn't it? It means that we come to church on a Sunday. It means we partake in communion. It means that we uh, learn and obey God's word. We pray, we evangelize, and so on. But one of the essential parts of being a disciple of Jesus is giving, isn't it? Giving to the local church is an important part of being a disciple, of worshiping God. That is why we normally have our offering. And a generous church grows a dynamic of change within the local community. Because if you're the church in Acts chapter 4, and people are selling their stuff and giving it to the poor, giving it to those in need, what on earth do you think those outside are thinking? Think of the religious leaders and all their pomp and splendor and money. What a contrast to Judas who sold himself out for 30 pieces of silver. They would give it away, but they were so generous to one another. Because the world looks and says, why would I share anything of my own? That's mine. 
Whenever we think about it, from fences in our garden that separates what's ours, to the people who owe us money that we know, they owe me £2.50 or they owe me a coffee. God's people are to be so different. Why? Because of God's great, generous grace. That is the basis on which we stand. We push out and are a generous church, flowing out of a love and thankfulness of God's generous, great grace. And the church, us, we can be generous to the church, to the glory of Christ. Why? Because our giving is, can be sacrificial. We are to be sacrificial in our giving. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean as we give to the church, what that means ultimately is that we will have less than those outside the church, doesn't it? Because we give um, means we can't spend that money on something else. We have less. We do it out in order that we might give generously to the church. Why? Because we've experienced the great grace. It changes our relationship with money. How we look at it, the process of giving it away is completely different now. Or is it? Because we need to be active, as it were. We need to decide what to give rather than have no plan and be passive and end up, whoa, don't know what to do. In the Old Testament, God instructed that they give tithe, and it was the, the first fruit, so they gave first to God. New Testament has no guideline, but it would seem strange for God to lower the bar, wouldn't it? Why? Because well, we're this side of the cross, and we've seen how much God has given us in Jesus. Often we just give a bit what's left, rather than working ourselves and living ourselves on what remains. See, do you remember the story of the, the rich young man? Remember Jesus meets him and he had all this money and possessions. He was unwilling to give them up for Jesus, wasn't he? Instead, he went away from Jesus sorrowful, sorrowful instead of giving it away. See, giving is a, is a really helpful thing to do as a disciple. Why? Because it helps us prioritize what we love. We are to love God more than we love our possessions. And generosity helps us reconfigure our lives that we are focusing on Jesus. You see, grace changes our attitude towards money. We have a completely different attitude towards it from the outside world. Rich young rulers to sell all his possessions and have treasures in heaven. What's Jesus saying is that you have a lot of money. He's looking to him to sell all his, get rid of all of his money to follow Jesus. Why? So that he would see that Jesus is the real treasure. That is why we have a different attitude, because we know money, great as it is, it's not the real treasure. Jesus is. And he says to the rich young ruler, are you willing to give up to me? Are you willing to make me your treasure? But because we are separants of God's great grace, that's exactly our attitude that we do have. In Acts 4, we read there that no one uh, said that any of the things belonged to him was his own. You know, we're very tempted to say, it's my money, I work hard for it. And sometimes we compare ourselves to others. They don't seem to work as hard as me, but yet they have as much money or more than me. But the Christian approach, the attitude is different. The money's not mine. I don't see it as mine. I see it as a blessing from God. It's a stewardship caring uh, uh, for what is given to us. You see, we can talk all we like about being on fire for God, being committed to Union Road or La Comfort. We can talk about how, how much we love people, how much and how often we serve. But what is true in our hearts will show up in our attitude towards money. 
and how we use it. You will let go of money for the things that you find satisfaction in. But if you love clothes or security or holiday, you will hold on to your money and you will let it go willingly and often effortlessly for those things you hold dear. If you love Jesus, you will give it away in radical proportions so that Jesus' name would be glorified. How we use our money tells us where our hearts are at. If the idea of giving lots of money away, like the rich young ruler, threatens you, it maybe reveals that your heart is somewhere else. Plotting and scheming to invest into a, a, another, another investment or a good investment, the idea of building up a, a money or more portfolios or uh, rather than into the prayer, into the church, repulses you. That shows you really where your heart is at. How is our heart, how is our attitude towards money? For many, there's been no traveling expenses for a year or no hair done in a year. Where did that money go towards? A little extra for satisfaction in the things that we love or the church. See, our attitude is so different because we have this great grace of verse 33. Our attitude is so different because we know Jesus is where the satisfaction lies. Jesus is where people find fulfillment, not in cars or holidays or anything else. It is Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says that if parents know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does our heavenly Father who gives good gifts to his children so our Father in heaven gives us good gifts. Surely our response would be to share it overflowingly with copious amounts of generosity that others would experience God's great grace. The church is generous towards the church for the praise of Jesus' name. Why? Because we have experienced that great grace. And in our giving, as I kind of hinted at already, in our giving, we are serving others. We are serving others. That's what's going on here in this, this passage that we read, isn't it? In verse 32, they prayed in one voice. Now they had this oneness, one heart and soul. They had really real friendship and fellowship. They're committed to each other in prayer and friendship and for caring and sharing with one another. And a caring community reacts to the needs of the church in a given moment. So maybe the case was that someone came into a great need and Instantly, someone went and sold a field and gave it to somebody else or would give it to the, the apostles to decide what to do with it. Verses 34 and 5, there was not a needy person among them. They sold and brought the proceeds of what was sold. In the next chapter, someone tries to, to, to cover their tracks and keep some from themselves. They love their money more than they love Jesus. And the Lord strikes them down. It's a sign that they care for each other in Acts 4, isn't it? That they are willing to sell. They care for each other as a family because they are a family. They have a mutual care and admiration for each other. It's a life of unity in this church, of community. There's nothing, nothing detracts from the main thing, though. It's always about this great grace in Jesus. That's why they do it. It's out of a love for Jesus, which means they love one another because of God's generous grace towards them. They are generous towards others. Because can you imagine this early church where Christians weren't particularly liked? Remember they were death threats in chapter, or told to be silenced in chapter 3. 
Can you imagine a, a young girl or a husband or a wife or a young man comes to faith and much to the annoyance of the family, you can, there's a sense in which he or she would need a spiritual mother or father, but there's also perhaps you can envisage a newly converted Christian being given the cold shoulder by his family or her family, can't you? What are you with them for? They're crazy. You can't see what they do. You can imagine that happening, can't you? You can imagine maybe a father and a son giving him, like, I'm not quite sure, I might go to the second son here to pass on the business. You can maybe get the cold shoulder within their families. Maybe their work, they didn't get as much of it, or people started to boycott them. Uh, what do they do? Well, they serve one another here. Others have money, others don't. It's all one together. They were generous to one another because of God's generous grace. How can we be generous in serving one another? Well, we can be generous with the gifts God gives us, can't we? In terms of our ability and, and talents. God blesses us to be rich in different ways. And as God blesses us, surely we should be blessing others. We should be blessing the church. If we have time, we can be generous with it. If we have a gift of hospitality or property, we can be generous with it. If we are good with people, we can spend time and be generous with it. If we are good with children, can't we bless our, our church's children and not just using children to make a living from? If we have skills and it opens up a wide range of possibilities from creating audiovisuals to, to singing to administrative tasks and practical work, we can all be generous in those ways, can't we? This passage is about money. If we have money, we can be generous with it. You remember the story in the Gospels of the, the widow who, or who gave her, her last penny? She gave more than the others, didn't she? To serve others, we need to recognize this great grace that we have and be generous with that grace that we receive. There's a church in the, the UK, and there's a doctor in the congregation who looks at the society around her, and her heart is broken. She is utterly broken by the society in which she lives, that they are so anti-Jesus that as a doctor, she lives on half her wage. Why? Because she recognizes the brokenness, and essentially she pays for a couple of men to evangelize the area. What did that result in? Another man selling his second or third home, giving the proceeds to the church. Why? To see God glorified. To see treasure in heaven, not treasure in their bank accounts, treasure in heaven that people would come to know Jesus. We cannot take anything with us. Jesus talks about treasures in heaven, investing in people. Imagine this. Imagine in the new heavens and the new earth, we are enjoying our, our time in, in the glory of God. Can you imagine walking the streets or walking in the fields, whatever that looks like, and getting a tap on the shoulder? And they're tapping us like, thanks so much for giving to that missionary organization. Because without your money, I would not be here. That's treasure in heaven, isn't it? Remember we ran Christianity Explored a, a couple of years ago now? Do we spend money on a neutral venue or not? Do we spend it in the terrace hotel or not? Can we not just do it in church where it'll be free? Spend a bit of money. What came from it? By God's grace, His great grace, treasures in heaven. 
the church in Acts is united around the gospel, united around Jesus, and they're displaying Jesus, they do it through generosity. None of them thought the possessions was theirs, and it all stems from a love of Jesus. They understood the material would fade away, but the joy of the resurrection would last forever. And Barnabas is the, the example in the last couple of verses that he would lay down at his apostles' feet. They had a, a central fund, if you like, that was distributed by the church to those in need. And that's what we do, isn't it? With the Presbyterian Church now, and let no one say to you that PCI does nothing. That's not true. Where does our United Appeal go? Well, I look up a quick video. Here's a couple of stats. 78 home missions, 28 chaplains, 14 community workers, 400 bed spaces, including residential care, nursing homes, sheltered housing, taking care training to make sure our children are safe, supporting congregations in their life and witness, ministry students, and around the world, 27 global missionaries. At the end of the video, it says this, all this and more made possible by your generosity. That is treasures in heaven. It leads us to ask the question, what could we do here if we were generous with our money? How might God use what he has given us as we give back to him and his church? What are the possibilities? Is it a, another worker, an evangelist, resources for outreach, a, a building in the diamond, investing resources in, in children so that families can constantly point their children to Jesus, a hope for the community, a, a safe place for farmers to, to talk rather than suffer silently, building on relationships and business to the town, engaging the local community some way, in schools, ministering to them. I don't know. But what could we do? Like that recycling advert, isn't it? The possibilities are endless. How might we give flowing out of a thankful heart because we've experienced great grace? We give to the church because Christ gave himself for us. Silver and gold are worth nothing compared to the precious blood of Jesus. Don't hold on to what God gives you or just for your family or just for whenever you get paid to do those tasks. Don't hold on to your money. That's not loving Christ in his church. Cling to Christ rather than clinging to cash. You know, the BBC every year, every other year, they have comic relief. You turn on the TV and there's endless adverts for charities. And while those can be feel-good giving nights for comic relief or they can be guilt trips in the charities, you know, you see a, a wonky donkey and you want to give some money to a donkey charity. And that's okay, but what's, what's the method behind us to guilt trip us into to giving? That's not our attitude to giving, is it? It's to be, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Just because God has our money doesn't mean that he has our hearts. He needs to have our hearts. God wants us to be happy in life because he loves us. His word says the only way to be happy in him is to, to love and follow him. See, the problem is for us, uh, as people surrounded by the world, but we listen to it all too often. We're told that we need to prioritize security for family or for our retirements, thinking, how am I going to save a little bit extra to get away? But that corrodes our hearts. Riches corrodes our hearts. Instead of loving our dear Savior, Jesus, we end up loving something else. There's a happiness in giving money away, to be like God in a sense, to be a cheerful giver and never reluctant to hold back. God doesn't give sparingly, does he? 
He gives us abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Christians know that we don't deserve anything from God. But God is generous with us. And once we experience this great grace of verse 33, we cannot be the same ever again in our giving. Because we want others to experience that great grace. The church can give to each other and can be generous in many different ways, from our money, our time, our energy, our talent, our hospitality, our, our sharing our food, or other good works. But all that generosity, from, from money to our time, flows out of a heart of love for Jesus. Because we are recipients of his great grace. We didn't save ourselves. What is ours is not really ours. It's God's grace, his blessing upon us. Why do we have to be a generous church? Well, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, say again, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We are a generous church. Why? Because we are reminded of Calvary, that blood shed, that body hung on the tree for us, and we look to him the one who gave absolutely everything for us that we might become rich. Let's be a generous church and let's sing to our servant king. Let's stand before we come to the Lord's table and worship God. Mm -hmm.